This morning, if you were with us during Sunday school, uh, you know that we had Perry Beeb out here sharing a little bit with his ministry with us during the Sunday school time, and I invited Perry to come down and uh, just uh, kind of fill us in a little bit about his ministry for, for maybe some of us who, who have uh, missed uh, Sunday school this morning. So I so, uh, just wanted to Perry to have a chance to share, and I just uh, have a few questions to, uh, uh, to ask him this morning. But first of all, Perry, just share a little bit about your overall uh, ministry with TWR, kind of what, what your focus is. Good morning, and um, first of all, I, I just want to thank you for your partnership uh, with our ministry. Um, it's because of these partnerships that we're able to do what we do. We've been with uh, Transworld Radio for 17 years. Uh, the first six years, um, we were overseas in Slovakia. In 2003, we came back to the United States. I live in uh, Elkhart, Indiana, and I work with another ministry called HCJB. HCJB plants radio stations around the world. In fact, at the end of the month, I'll be going to Liberia and um, planting a radio station there. And um, from Elkhart, Indiana, what I do there is I provide technical support. You may not realize this, but we're incredibly blessed here in the United States to have stable electricity. How many times do you plug something in and it blows up because the electricity's bad? Probably doesn't happen here. It does happen a lot around the world, um, especially, you know, when you're, you're dependent on a, a power source like a generator. Generators are great, um, but I don't think you'd want to run your house on it. Uh, these places, they don't have the choice. So sometimes the generator gives a hiccup and the transmitter goes poof, and that's when they contact me and they say, hey, it went poof, what do you do? And uh, I, I love this thing called Skype, uh, Skype with video. That, that has saved me tremendously. Because a lot of times, the people that I'm talking to, uh, there's a language barrier. Uh, English isn't their first language, and I have no idea what their language is a lot of times. But uh, as we can talk with video Skype, that really helps me a lot because I can just you know, somehow direct them to this and this and this. We get it figured out, and then they they get it fixed. I can either send them the parts, or if we can't figure it out, they send it back to me in Elkhart, and that's what I do. And um, and then also, uh, uh, again, I'm with Transworld Radio, and I hope that maybe next year after our son graduates that we may move to the island of Guam and work there with Transworld Radio again. One of the things I, as Perry and I were communicating this week, I asked him if he would share just a highlight of ministry in the last six months uh, just for him. And so uh, you want to share that with us? Absolutely. Um, a highlight for me really was uh, going to Guam and serving there and, and working with the uh, 250,000 watt transmitter that was taking the place of an older, less efficient uh, 100,000 watt transmitter. In other words, this other one is newer and now it's online. It came online after I left and um, with that they can, they can broadcast now 250,000 watts which is a tremendous amount of power but for less money than they could 
actually, you know, broadcast with 100,000 watts on the older transmitter. So that was a, that was a tremendous blessing to me, and just to be able to work with that team there. And we saw, and he showed a, a, a picture in Sunday school of uh, from the, the little island of Guam, just the, the broadcast coverage that goes uh, all over that area of the region and, 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 and broadcasts the, the, the good news of the gospel in many different languages to many different countries. And it was just really encouraging to see that, uh, that without his skill as a technician and being able to work that, the, the, the gospel can't go forth. And so that was encouraging. The other thing I asked Perry to share with us this morning is just one specific way that we as, as his uh, supporting church, as a church that supports him, can be praying for him uh, specifically. So we want to share that with us. Thank you. Um, as far as a prayer request, um, I'd say ministry-wise, I mentioned I'll be going to Liberia uh, at the end of the month on the 22nd. I leave on the 28th. I'm scheduled to come back. Um, that's not a lot of time on the ground, so I would just ask you to pray that that is successful, that we're able to get the work done that we need to get done, and then um, you know, the, the station goes on the air. That's ministry-wise on, uh, on a personal note. Um, we need to replace our car. Uh, okay, here it goes. It's a 94 Camry. It's finally given up the ghost. So we need to replace it and just pray that we'll be able to find something that uh, is reliable and affordable. So let's, let's just pause and pray for, for Perry right now. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity just to have Perry with us. And just thank you for, for how you're using him all over the world uh, to broadcast uh, your word to many different countries and many different languages and using the skills and abilities and the technical know-how that he has to be, to be an important role in that, in that communication of your word. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, the time that we could get to know him a little bit better in his ministry. Uh, Lord, we pray for his upcoming trip to Liberia. Pray that, uh, that everything would go well, that the materials would, would get there, would be released from customs, and that uh, those few days that he has on the ground, there would be highly productive days, that, that you would enable him to get accomplished. Everything that they want him to accomplish while he's there, and that when he leaves, everything is working, and, and, and your word is being broadcast uh, all over the area there in Liberia and, and the surrounding countries. And Lord, I just also pray you'd be with him and his family, and Lord, as he shares a need for a new vehicle, that you might provide that for him. And even as he shared this morning in Sunday school, that as, as they uh, are taking this year to kind of figure out what's next for them, and as they, he thinks it may be uh, full-time in Guam, Lord, that, that you would just open and close the doors that you would have for, for him as he, as he uh, pursues your will and your direction. But Lord, thank you for Perry. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his love for you and for our uh, opportunity to partner with him in bringing the gospel to those around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, BJ and band. I love that song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. Uh, we were... Uh, in the car this week, driving somewhere with uh, my kiddos, and that song came on the radio, and Haley and Zachary are singing it on the top of their lungs in the back seat, and I'm just like, what a great, what a great reminder for us all who, who Christ is, that he's the cornerstone of our life. Uh, this morning, I just wanted to, before we uh, open up uh, God's Word, I wanted to give you an update on Ron Tomasetti, uh, and just to say thank you for many of you who are praying for him and for many of you who have visited him, I've gotten to see Ron a few times this week, and, uh, and he would just recall all the people that stopped to see him. 
and how that has made such, a, such an impact in his life, and he was so thankful for that. But uh, uh, Ron's transport to McGee Rehab yesterday went smoothly, and he is settled in. Uh, he's eating better each day, and he's getting ready for uh, rehab. And he needs to be able to eat so that uh, he has the energy uh, to begin the rehab process, which I think they're going to begin today. And so keep, keep Ron in your prayers. Uh, pray that he'll have the mental and physical stamina to go through the rehab. It's a pretty rigorous uh, uh, process, and he needs to have the energy and the stamina to do that. And the thing about Ron, as I've been visiting him, he's, he's got a great attitude, and he's a fighter. And I know he's going to give it his all. But also pray that uh, God would continue just to, to work in his body and completely heal him. And I know Kathy and the family have really, really appreciated your prayers and your notes and uh, your Facebook messages when I visit with them. She, she mentions that she reads them all, and it's just such an encouragement, and such an encouragement to her. Uh, if you have your Bibles, want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. And we're going to be camping out there this morning. But before we do that, uh, I was told of a story of a little girl who wanted to learn how to cook. And so this little girl wanting to learn how to cook, she went to the best source, right? She went to her mom. I mean, that's the expert in the house of how to, how to cook. And so she, she went and asked her mom, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to learn how to cook. And, and her mom was cutting, uh, cooking some meat. And she, she had a very important question to ask her mom. She said, Mom, why do you always cut off the ends of the meat? When you cook it. And the, and the girl's mother thought about it and she answered quite normally, Well, hey, I cut the ends of the meat off so that uh, the meat will better absorb the spices, uh, that'll give it the, the flavoring, and so it'll absorb the spices. But the mom said, But you know what? I, I really learned that from your grandmother. So why don't you go ask your grandmother, you know, why, why we do this? And so the little girl, the next time she saw her grandmother, she really wanted to learn about this cooking deal. And so she said, hey, Grandma, why do you and Mom cut the ends of the meat off before you cook it? Her her grandmother thought for a moment, and she said, well, we do it because it allows the meat to stay tender. It soaks the juices up better, and that's why we do it. She said, but you know what? I learned this from your great-grandmother. So, you know, when you see your Nana the next time, why don't you ask her why she kind of passed this down on to me? Now, the girl was a little frustrated because she thought this cooking thing would be a little easier than this. She thought that, you know, she, she, would, she would get some, some clear instructions and some clear answers, and, and she wanted to know why this was happening. And the next time she saw her grandmother, she, cr- she crawled up into her Nana's lap, and she said, Nana, I have an important question to ask you. She said, why, why do you and Grandma and Mom, why, why do you cut the ends of the meat off when you cook it? And her Nana thought about it for a second, and she smiled, and she said, Well, it's very simple, dear. My cooking pot wasn't big enough. I had to cut them off. <laughs> and, and, and that's a funny story, but, uh, you know, we do a lot of things in life that we seldom stop and, and think about. Why, why do we do these things? Why? We seldom ask why. We have a lot of traditions. We have a lot of habits that we have developed. And if we're careful, if we're not careful, we can forget why we do certain things. And here at Mount Calvary Church, we celebrate communion almost every month during the Sunday morning worship service. Uh, It's something that we do, usually the first Sunday of the month. And this morning, I want to take a few moments and just kind of explain and remind us why we do this so often. 
Uh, you know, we, we partake of it every month, but we don't often talk about the significance behind it. And so this morning we're going to talk about why we distribute the little pieces of crackers and those little cups of juice. Because I think if we don't think about it, then we sometimes forget why we do the things that we do. You know, as we come to uh, communion, some people call it communion, some people call it the Lord's Supper. But if you search through scriptures, there's not a whole lot written about this thing that we do every month. As a matter of fact, there's only two individuals throughout the whole Bible that really talk a lot or talk at all about this communion or the Lord's Supper. So uh, at first, we're going to look at some conversations about communion that happen in the scriptures. And that first individual, the first individual that talks about communion is Jesus. And in Matthew 26, verse 17, it says this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, I don't know about you, but the title in my Bible calls this section the Last Supper. It calls it the Last Supper. And Jesus had gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. And God instituted the Passover when he delivered his people from their 400 years of bondage in Egypt. The meal celebrated uh, the fact that, that God protected Israel from the 10th plague of Egypt when they put the blood on the doorposts from the lamb that the death angel passed over those Israelites' homes and, and struck the firstborn in all of those other homes that didn't have the blood on the doors. And so it celebrates God's protection from, uh, from that last plague, and, and, it, and it celebrates the, uh, the Lord's supreme deliverance from the slavery and oppression of Egypt and their deliverance into the promised land. And it's still one of the holiest of Jewish feasts. And so the, the disciples have gathered with Jesus at this Last Supper, and they are remembering how God had provided for the Israelites. They're celebrating this Passover meal. And in the midst of that Passover meal, Jesus took the bread and the cup, and he had the very first communion service. It goes on in verses 26 and 28 of Matthew 26, and it says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So at that moment, Jesus transformed this Passover meal into a greater celebration. The Passover celebrated the temporary physical deliverance of the old covenant. Communion celebrates the permanent and spiritual deliverance of the new covenant. The Passover celebrates Israel's deliverance from the slavery of Egypt. And communion celebrates the believer's deliverance from the slavery of sin. So that night, as Jesus gathered with his disciples and had the very first communion, they were celebrating the fact that Jesus was on his way to the cross. And he was on his way to the cross for our sins. That he was going to die and pay the price for those sins and raise again conquering death. And because of that, we who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ can be forgiven. It's a celebration of the fact that we are delivered from the slavery of sin if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus had to say about 
communion. The second individual that talks about communion is Paul. And Paul writes in a little more detail about uh, this idea of communion. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And, and Corinth was a prominent center of commerce in the Mediterranean region. But it was also a prominent area of immorality and idolatry. It wasn't a great place. It was a pretty wicked city. And the church there, instead of impacting the culture in the city in a positive way, the church was being impacted by the culture of the city in a negative way. And Paul wrote to address and correct many of the problems the church of Corinth was facing. And one of those issues was the Corinthians lacked reverence and the right practice of communion. One of the issues that was happening in that church was they didn't have reverence for communion and they didn't practice it correctly. They didn't practice it correctly. As the early church began in the book of Acts, Luke tells us that the uh, daily life of the church was made up of four key components. Uh, first, the early Christians uh, were, obeyed the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped with one another. They broke bread together. And they prayed together. And we can be sure that as they broke bread together, part of that, uh, as they came together for a meal, part of that time, they celebrated communion together. And some scholars believe that in the early church, they celebrated communion every day, just as a remember of the great work at the cross that Christ did for us. And in the early church, they, uh, they developed a special fellowship meals that came to be called love feasts. And I remember as a kid, um, at my grandmother's church, they had love feasts after Sunday. And everybody brought something to share. And they came together to, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, uh, to love on one another. And, and it was just kind of a time of mutual caring and, and just being together as the body of Christ. And the emphasis of these love feasts were of oneness and very, readily, and, and very readily led into the idea that, uh, of celebrating communion and, and the unifying accomplishment of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so in the early church, they had, this, they had this custom of coming together for love feasts, and then they would practice communion after that. And the problem here in the Corinthian church was they followed this custom, but they turned these love feasts into a kind of a divisive party atmosphere, it was something that had gotten out of hand. And Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 11, he says, your meetings do more harm than good. That's never a good statement to make to anybody. Those aren't great words for them to hear. Paul says, you know what, it'd be much better if you would never have had a love feast and never come together and, and during that time even celebrate communion at the end of those love feasts. It would be better if you'd never do that. Because you've abused it so much. He says, your, your meetings do more harm than good. And he's talking about moral evil there. He said, you know, you guys are, you're corrupt. You're immoral. These are not great meetings. Instead of celebrating, uh, instead of this celebration being times of loving fellowship and spiritual enrichment, they involve selfish satisfaction. They involve humiliating uh, those of lower stand, uh, the poor members and lower classes in their midst. They mocked the Lord's sacrificial death, and, they, and ultimately they led to, to, to really embarrassing the church in, in front of the whole city. The church became an embarrassment. It was a laughingstock because they were so out of hand. 
And so this is the, this is the situation that Paul is writing in, and he's writing to them to correct their, their approach to communion. And, and Paul gives us, in these next few verses, four causes for reasons why we need to celebrate communion. It's interesting, from the time that Jesus had the first communion at the Last Supper till Paul wrote Corinthians uh, to the Corinthians, it was about 20 or 30 years. And in those 20 or 30 years, the whole idea of communion and this getting together morphed into this some outrageous party atmosphere in the lives of the Corinthians. It had lost its significance. And because of that abuse, Paul writes and says, you know what, hey, there are four reasons why we celebrate communion. And the first reason we participate in the Lord's Supper together is one that we all know. It's to remember. It's to remember. It says in verses 23 through 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so Paul says, we do this to remember. And he starts off and he says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. And Paul makes it very clear here that, you know what, I am not making this up. This is not my opinion. But God has commanded me to to communicate to you his words. So he is passing on what God wanted the Corinthians to know and what he wanted us to know this morning. And he goes on and he says, on the night he was betrayed. Now, Paul gives us the historical setting where communion started. It started at the Last Supper when when, when Jesus was betrayed. The most beautiful and meaningful of Christian celebrations was instituted the very night the Lord was betrayed and arrested. In the midst of the world's evil, God established good. In the midst of Satan's wickedness, God shows his holiness and love. And so Paul says, you know what? It all goes back to the Last Supper and the night that Jesus was betrayed. That's, uh, that's what we remember how communion started. And he goes on and he talks about the bread. And in the Passover celebration, the bread represented the Exodus. And now it's come to represent the body of, of Jesus, our Messiah. In communion, the, the bread represents Jesus' body who was beaten and tortured for us, because he loves us, because he loved us so much, he was willing to endure the cross. And he got, Paul goes on and says, this is my body, which is for you, talking about Jesus' words there. And the, and the word for is a very interesting word, because for means for the sake of or instead of. In sake of uh, uh, or, or instead of. Jesus gave his body in our place. He took our place. He paid our penalty for our sins so we wouldn't have to. When Jesus says, this is my body which is given for you, that is a powerful statement of love. He took our place because he loves us. He took our place because he desires a relationship with us. Paul goes on and talks about the cup, and in the Passover celebration, it represents the lamb's blood smeared on the doorposts and lintels uh, in the Passover, and now comes to represent the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God shed for the salvation 
of the world. He loved us so much, he was willing to die for us. That's pretty extreme love. We use the word love a lot in our world to to say uh, that we care about a lot of things, but do we really love so much that we're willing to lay down our life? And he goes on and says, This is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was ratified repeatedly by the blood of animals offers as sacrifice you know, in the temple or in the tabernacle. We came, the Israelites came and they offered the sacrifices for their sins time and time again. But in the new covenant, the new covenant is ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ, once and for all paying the price for our sin. The Passover celebrated the old covenant physical deliverance from, of Israel from Egypt to Canaan, and communion celebrates the new covenant spiritual deliverance from sin to salvation, from death to life, from Satan's hell to God's heaven. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's a command from Jesus. Jesus commands us, hey, we need to do this in remembrance of him. Uh, it's something that, that he expects us to participate in. It's something that he wants us to do. And if we don't do it on a regular basis, we're not being faithful to God. We're not being faithful to his wishes. In Hebrew, to remember meant something, more, something much more than just bringing something to mind. To truly remember is to go back in one's mind and to recapture as much of the significance of an event or an experience as, as you possibly can. It's trying to relive that experience, trying to relive that event, trying to take it all in and what it all meant. And it's a time of remembering the great work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Paul made it clear that communion was all about honoring and remembering Christ and his work on the cross. I don't know about you, but I have a pretty good forgetter. I have a hard time remembering things. And, in, you know, I'm so bad that if something comes to mind, I pull out my phone and I send myself an email so I don't forget it. Uh, you know, because I'm I kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, and we kind of live that way in our lives. If we haven't seen someone or, or seen something in a while, we kind of forget about it. And, and I think it's interesting that Jesus commands us to, to, to come to and have communion, to do this in remembrance of him. And why does he do that? So it doesn't become out of sight, out of mind. So we don't forget what God has done for us, that he, he sent his only son to die in our place so we could have a relationship with him. So that doesn't become just normal. It just doesn't become something that we, we know, but it doesn't mean anything to us. So Paul says we need, we need to celebrate communion to remember. We also need to celebrate communion to rejoice. In verse 26, it goes on, it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's interesting here. Communion just isn't looking back to what Christ did for us on the cross, but it's looking forward to his return. It's looking forward to his return. Communion is the reminder that the Lord is coming again. It helps us to keep looking forward to the day that we will be with him. We rejoice because because Jesus is alive in heaven. He is interceding for us right now. And one day he will return and take us home to be with him. He'll return for his church. 
for his church. In, in, in the Gospel of John, John was just telling his disciples. They just celebrated the, the Last Supper, and, 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 and Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And, and he was telling them that he was going to be betrayed and that he was leaving them. And in John 14, verses 1 to 3, these very familiar verses, Jesus tells the disciples, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me where I am also. And Jesus tells, tells his disciples there, you know what? I am not going to be with you, that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm preparing a place for you, but I'm going to come back. And you see, communion is a time to rejoice. And we celebrate a lot of things, don't we? we and one of the big things we celebrate is birthdays. And I have, I have kids that are, birthdays are coming up in July. And this weekend, we started to hear about what they would like to do for their birthdays. And, and, and Haley especially is playing out these big elaborate celebrations. And those are good things to celebrate. But you know what? Here we have the greatest thing to celebrate in the world, that Jesus is risen. And one day he is going to return. And we will spend eternity with him in heaven for, for believers who put their faith and trust in him. And so communion just isn't about looking back, but it's rejoicing in the fact that, hey, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And our end destination is heaven. And that is something that we should be excited about. Uh, when, we, when we have a rough day or a rough week, something to remind ourselves about, you know what, I'm just passing through. But thank the Lord that my end destination is heaven. The third reason we partake in the Lord's Supper together is to repent. To repent. And to repent means to turn in the opposite direction. And if, if we're repenting, in essence, we're, we're turning from practicing our sin to pursuing lives of holy obedience to Christ. That's what repenting is. And in verses 27 and 28 in 1 Corinthians 11, it goes on and Paul says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And as we think about this, I think there's two main ways that we come to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. There's two main ways we do that. The first way is is when we participate in it ritualistically. When, we, when we, we come to the table without engaging our hearts and our minds. We go through the motions without going through any emotion. We treat it lightly rather than taking it seriously. It just becomes something that we do. We don't even think about it. We just practice it. It becomes a ritual that we do. We just go through the motions. And the second way is we participate in it with unconfessed sin in our lives, which we refuse to repent from. That's the second way we, uh, that we can participate in it in an unworthy manner. And, and, and Paul says, you know what? If we do that, we're guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You know, to trample on our country's flag, it's not, it's, uh, we don't dishonor that piece of fabric, do we, when we trample on that flag? What we do is we dishonor this country and all those men and women who fought to protect it and all the men and women who serve our country. It dishonors our country. And you know what? When we come to the table in an unworthy manner, we are not dishonoring you know, the crackers or the juice. We are dishonoring Jesus Christ, the one who, the, who this, this celebration celebrates, the one who laid down his life for us. 
So when we come to it with an unworthy manner, we are dishonoring him. And Paul says, you know what? We ought to, everyone ought to examine themselves. Communion is an opportunity to confess sin and seek forgiveness from God. We come to the Lord's table, and it's an opportunity for us just to pause and to ask God's Holy Spirit to search our heart and our minds, to, to reveal to us if there's anything in our lives that we need to get right, that we need to confess, that we need to ask for forgiveness from. Our motives and attitudes toward the Lord, towards his word, towards his people, and toward the, uh, the celebration of the communion service it, it itself should be carefully inspected and corrected. And so therefore, when we come to the table, it, comes, it becomes a special place of purification for the church. We purify our lives. We ask God to reveal any sin in our lives. We make it right before we celebrate together. And finally, the last reason that we celebrate communion is, is very simply this, to reconcile. And reconciliation means to change, uh, to change the relationship, to change from hatred and hostility to harmony. 1 Corinthians 11.29 says, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And here, the body of Christ, uh, I looked at many different co commentaries, and, and a lot of the commenta commentators think that the body of Christ not only talks about Jesus' body, but also the body of Christ as, as the church, the, the corporate uh, body of believers, uh, which was being divided by sin and following the ways of the Corinthian culture. And so he says, you know, he's talking about the body of Christ, and he says, you need to understand and you need to discern, you need to recognize what Christ did at the cross and understand that all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are all part of the same body. We're all part of the same body. In other words, those who treat fellow believers poorly fail to discern the significance of Christ's death on the cross and that through faith we're all members of God's family. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, Paul says, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And here we see that the body of Christ was divided. The body of Christ was divided. Apparently, the Corinthians couldn't agree on anything. And they didn't seek to serve each other. Instead of sharing together in fellowship and worship, they spent their time in selfish indulgence, in arguing and disputing. And John MacArthur said this, one of the most fearful things in the church is division because it's one of the first and surest signs of spiritual sickness, one of the first symptoms of worldliness, often before as it shows up in uncompromised doctrine or lifestyle, is dissension within a congregation. The Corinthian church was divided, and Paul says, you know what? You are one body. You are one body. In 1 Corinthians uh, 10, the chapter before, in verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a, a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body. We all partake of one loaf. And I love those verses because it, it stresses that, you know what, we are united as one body. We're united as one body. God wants his church to be united in love for him 
and love for others. So when we come to the table, when we come to communion, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to restore those relationships, to reconcile those relationships with other believers that maybe bitterness has crept in and, and, and we've been divided over, over things and it's time to make those things right. It's time to make those things right. So this morning we talked about the causes of communion. It's to remember the great work of Christ on the cross. It's to rejoice in the fact that he is coming again and will be with him for eternity in heaven. It's a time for us to repent, to come clean with God, to confess those sins and make things right. And finally, it's a time to, to reconcile with maybe some brothers and sisters who we've wronged. And, there, and in conclusion, there's only one thing that we can do, right? It's time to celebrate together. And this morning, as we come to the table and as we celebrate, you don't have to be a member of Mount Calvary Church to take communion. That's, uh, that's not required. All we ask is that anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can come to the table. And you can celebrate the great act of love that Jesus did on the cross. But just remember the warning from Paul. He says, don't be like the Corinthians. Don't partake of it in an unworthy manner. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just take it lightly. Just, it's just not something else we do. And make sure that you've examined your lives and, and confessed any sin in your life. We're going to pray, and as we pray, the men are going to come forward uh, to, uh, to take their places. And then we're going to distribute the elements. And as we distribute, you can take one and just pass it down the aisle. And we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember the great work that Jesus did for us. He is our cornerstone. He is the thing that our life is built on. Because of him, we have hope. And we're just going to have a time of celebration. Join with me in prayer. Father God, we come to you today and we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have just to... Uh, to open up your word and, and get directions from you, to, to, to hear your voice and, and to hear your heartbeats. And Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to celebrate today communion. And we're thankful that as we celebrate communion today, it, it, it celebrates us as believers, the fact that we have been delivered from our sin because of your work on the cross. Because we've realized that we were sinners in need of a savior and put our faith and trust in you, we're part of your family. And we have hope for eternity that we'll spend eternity with you. And, and this morning, Lord, I pr it's my prayer that as we celebrate together as your family, that we would celebrate with thanksgiving. That we would celebrate it seriously and reverently. That you would have our full attention. And that would just be another act of worship. In Jesus' name. As we close our service today, I just wanted to thank you for being here. And thank you for the opportunity we just had to look and uh, remember why we come to the table. And as we walk out these doors today, let's remember that we have a God who loves us, who is willing to lay down his life for us so we could have a relationship with him. But he laid down his life not just for us, 
And there's many people that we're going to come in contact with this week, rub shoulders with, that maybe have never experienced, never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's an opportunity for us to live that faith out in a practical way. So as we go, let's look for opportunities to share his love with other people. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You're dismissed.